Hey, Icon and Bay City. My name is Josh. I serve as the Spiritual Formation Director here at Icon. Hey, I'm super excited for us to finish out our series on Father Abraham because that means next comes Advent, which is the best time of the year, as we all know. But first we got Genesis 22. So let's go ahead and uh, jump in. I'm going to read part of what we'll cover today, and then uh, we'll pray and get started. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and Abraham said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and his son, Isaac. He cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took, his hand and, uh, took in his hand the fire and the knife. They both went together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father, and he sa- Abraham said, here I am, my son. Isaac said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, laying him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. The angel said, do not lay lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by his his horns. Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And so, Father, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you that you have in your wisdom and your love, put stories into the Bible that teach us how to respond to you, God. That teach us how to move forward in the Christian life to become resilient disciples. And so, Father, I thank you for the story in Genesis 22. Thank you for what it teaches us, God. I pray for myself and for those who are hearing that our hearts would be more moved to devotion because of your word here today, God. Father, claim more of our hearts today. Lord, unite my weak words with your power and bring fruit in my heart and in the hearts of those who are hearing, God. Father, we love you and we entrust this time to you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Have it your way. Just like you like it. These are some super popular slogans from popular fast food restaurants. The first one you might know. The second one, just like you like it, uh, is a little ode to the best burger that you can get in America, which is only found in like Texas and New Mexico, and that would be Whataburger. So all of my fellow Texas friends, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, But these little slogans, innocent as they are, I think they tell something about us. You see, 
th these companies are, are, are seeking to come up with something that will entice you to buy their product. That's obvious. That's, that's plain as could be. And so they spend time, they spend money researching what's the best thing that we could say? What's the best thing that we could give these people as a little pithy line that would seek to entice them to come, come and buy our product? And after this research, after this, this manpower and these resources being spent on trying to figure this out, what did they tap into? What did they see as the most universal principle that's the most far-reaching and widely applicable principle or value in the American life? Self-interest. Have it your way, just like you like it. They're just trying to sell us a burger, but what they're doing, what they've tapped into, says something about ourselves, says something about our culture, that we as Americans and really as just Westerners in general live in this culture that's been deformed into just a, a loose collection of individuals that are all kind of seeking their own fulfillment independent of one another. And yeah, we come together for certain movements and causes, but really a lot of those coming together for movement and causes tend to happen because we find that that cause or that movement complements our sense of self. And so we are a culture driven by self-interest, driven by personal autonomy and radical freedom for you to get what's yours to be who you are, who you think that you are, and to let nothing stand in the way of you living the authentic self that you think that you've discovered. This is the air that we breathe. And friends, we as Christians are just as at risk as anybody else of taking on this type of thinking. It's the air we breathe. Look at a billboard, watch TV, flip open your social media, and what's being given to you, what's being sold to you, is a story about the, the good life being something of self-interest. That it's about you. It's about you being fulfilled. It's about you being complimented. And anything else that stands in the way of that needs to be discarded as quickly as possible. Christians are at risk of taking on this narrative. And when we take on a narrative like that, our hearts are divided. We are at risk as Christians today of having a divided allegiance, a divided love between this world and between God. Of hearing what God says about us in Jesus Christ and what that means for our life, letting God define who we are and then buying into the cultural narrative of you be you, you do you however you want. We are at risk of division at the core of who we are. And this is a danger. This is a danger for us as Christians in our endurance and in our resilience because a divided love is no love at all. A divided allegiance is just a sanitary way of saying disloyalty. And so we've got to, we've got to have something. We've got, we've got to confront this. We've got to, something's got to happen in our hearts and in our lives if we are going to more and more and more and more move away from having our hearts, having one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom of God. And thankfully, our God, 
is committed to our love for him being full, to our allegiance to him being undivided. He has committed himself to us because he loves us, because he has purchased us with the blood of his own dear son. He has committed himself and all of who he is for your good being conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. Because of that commitment, friends, because of that commitment, he's going to put into our lives certain things that will move our hearts toward him. One of which is moments and decisions of sacrifice. That God, because of his love, because of his commitment to us, is going to weave into our life moments of sacrifice. And this is good because sacrifice, it begins to burn off the fluff. Sacrifice just kind of sears off the the fluff of division, of half-heartedness. Sacrifice moves us, when responded to rightly, moves us into a more fully devoted life, a, a, a life that is singularly focused on the goodness and glory and kingdom of God. Sacrifice is good. And that's what this story is going to show us today. That in this story, we get a couple things that's going to help us to move forward and to embrace the sacrifice that God brings into our lives, the moments and decisions of sacrifice. And so the kind of the title for this message is be ready to sacrifice what you love most. Be ready to sacrifice what you love most. In Genesis 22, we get some help as to how to think about sacrifice. Listen, God's not calling us to this. God's not calling us to the type of sacrifice that he's putting forward in front of Isaac right now. That should be obvious as could be. But what we can glean from Genesis 22 is certain ways to think about sacrifice, how to approach it, how to practice it, why it's even there, what it does to us. And so kind of the, the, the thesis for my sermon today would be this. Sacrifice in the Christian life is always done for a reason, because of a relationship, and with a result in mind. I'll say it again. Sacrifice in the Christian life is done for a reason, because of a relationship, and with a result in mind. Reason, relationship, result. So let's get started. What's the reason for sacrifice being uh, uh, given to us in God and wanting us to walk in it. Well, let's uh, look at verse tw- uh, 1 in chapter 22. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and Abraham said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Look up at verse 12. The angel said to Abraham, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. What's the reason for sacrifice? What's the reason that God inserts and weaves into our life decisions of sacrifice? It's clear as could be in Genesis 22. 
It is to test our hearts. It is to give us a moment in which we can say, I'm going to go this way instead of that way. I'm going to follow and trust that God is good, that his way is right instead of this. And in the moment of sacrifice, we get to see and God sees just how committed our hearts are to him. That our hearts are tested in sacrifice. What's really there, what's really underneath all the fluff and all the the projection of who we are gets revealed in the moment of sacrifice. But why does God want to test our hearts? Why does he want to do this? For a couple reasons. One is because he knows us well. He knows us well. And he sees the idolatry. He sees the allegiances in our heart that are still there. Psalm 32 verse 8 says that God will and that he will lead us in the way that we should go and that he will instruct us. He will counsel us with his eye upon us, that we serve a God who knows and who sees and is attentive to who we are, to what we are and to what we love really deeply in our souls. He knows who we are and what he knows about us. If we're honest, friends, can we be real? Is that our hearts are divided, like I already said. That our hearts are divided. And so the reason that God wants to test our hearts with sacrifice to say, okay, in this moment, are you going to follow me? Are you going to trust me? Are you going to listen to yourself? Are you going to follow your idolatry? The reason he does that is because our hearts are divided. And they can't be. They shouldn't be. Our hearts are divided between the kingdoms of this world, and the kingdom of God. Listen, this election season that we all thought would be over, you know, that we'd be past it by now. What is it shown about your heart? I don't mean concern. Each of us should have been concerned. Each of us should have paid attention. Each of us should have done our part. But is there obsession there? Is there a certain level of stress that's still going on in your heart that shows just how attached, dependent on this world that your heart still is? Our hearts are divided. Our hearts are divided between the pleasures of this world and the presence of God. In this pandemic, I think a lot of us have seen that. In the stress and fatigue We've run toward what feels best. Rather than taking this as an opportunity to draw deeper into the presence of God, we've seen and been disappointed in our own hearts that we love what this world has to offer us still too much. Our hearts are divided. And this is a problem because our God is jealous. I don't mean jealous in the sense of that we get jealous. That when I'm driving around, you know, if I'm driving through Capitol Hill and I see that little Ferrari and Maserati dealership off of 12th Avenue, I'm like, gosh, that's crazy. Not that type of jealousy. God is a jealous God in that he wants what is truly his. That he demands what is truly his. 
And what he demands is the full devotion and hearts of his people. That God looks at those whom he has called his own and he says, your devotion, your love should be singularly focused on me as God. Not because he's about a power trip, not because he's a, uh, an old woman who just wants compliments from his creation, but because he deserves it. Because he is the God who deserves devotion. Because he is the God who deserves worship. A fully devoted heart. Our God is jealous for the devotion of his people. So the division of our hearts is a problem. That we should give God the the, the place of authority and worth for him to define who we should be and what, what what our hearts should look like. Sacrifice tests what's really there in our hearts. It gives us a moment of decision. And, that, and listen, that little moment of decision might bother us at first of like, why would God put something into my life to shape me? Kind of like what I said in the beginning, that our, our culture lives off of personal autonomy and self-interest. And so how dare God tell me what to do? But listen, we live in a culture of personal autonomy and self-interest. But what I think we're seeing right now is that it doesn't work. And what I mean by that is that we are seeing, even in a culture of radical freedom, self-interest, personal autonomy, we are seeing just how impossible of a narrative that is. And you know how I know that? Because in a culture that says, don't ever tell me what to do and don't ever tell me what to be, is flooding into the office of a therapist saying, tell me who I am. Tell me what to do. And listen, I, I am one of the strongest advocates you will find for therapy and for counseling because of what it's done in my own heart and mind. But I think it's telling that even when we tell everyone else, don't tell me what to do, don't tell me what to be, we run to the authority that we think we can trust in the therapist and say, tell me who I should be. Tell me what to do with my life. The same should be true of God. That we should let his authority and value define our life and let him bring into our life moments of sacrifice so that what's really there can be revealed. So that's the why. That's the reason why. How do, how do we respond to that, though? We respond, we respond to that reason for God to uh, insert into our life moments of sacrifice in order to test our hearts. We respond to that with zeal. Respond to God in his jealousy because he loves you with zeal and with devotion to say, yes, you can test my heart because I want my heart to be fully devoted to you, to be zealous for you. Listen to how the author J.C. Ryle says this in his book, Practical Religion. This is a long quote, but I really want to read it at length. Zeal in religion is a burning desire to please God, to do his will and to advance his glory in the world in every possible way. A zealous man in religion is preeminently a man of one thing. It is not enough to say that he is earnest or hearty, uncompromising, thoroughgoing, wholehearted, fervent in spirit. He only sees one thing. He cares for one thing. He lives for one thing. He is swallowed up in one thing. And that one thing is to please 
God. Whether he lives or whether he dies, whether he has health or whether he has sickness, whether he is rich or whether he is poor, whether he pleases man or whether he gives offense, whether he is thought wise or whether he is thought foolish, whether he gets blame or whether he gets praise, whether he gets honor or whether he gets shame, for all of this sacrifice is what I would say, this zealous man cares nothing at all. He burns for one thing, and that one thing is to please God, to advance God's glory. If he is consumed in the very burning of it, he cares not. He is content. He feels that like a lamp, he is made to burn. And so if consumed in burning, he has but done the work for which God appointed him. The way that we respond to this this why of sacrifice is with zeal. We care not what God might ask us to lay aside. Because our hearts are fully devoted, singularly focused on God himself. That's the great prize. God tests our hearts. That's the reason for sacrifice. Sacrifice tells the truth about who we are and about what we really love. So that's the, that's the first one. Sacrifice in the Christian life has a certain reason, and that reason is to test our hearts to show what's really there. That's clear as could be in Genesis 22. But then also, sacrifice in the Christian life is done because of a relationship. What do I mean by that? Look at verses 5 through 8. Then Abraham said to his young man, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, My father, and Abraham said, Here I am, my son. Isaac said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. Look also, look also at verses 13 through 14. Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. And as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. And so not only is the reason for sacrifice so that our hearts would be tested that we would have a moment of decision so as to devote ourselves more fully to God, but also sacrifice is done because of a relationship. You see, Abraham had been walking with God for decades at this point. That he, he first received the call to go and the promise from God at age 75. He waited 25 years for Isaac to be born. So that's two two decades and a half already. Uh, Theologians and experts believe that Isaac was probably around 15, maybe 20 years old. So that means at this point, Abraham had 40, maybe 50 years of experience walking with God. He had relational capital with God that instructed him in the moment of sacrifice. He knew God's character from past relational experiences enough to sacrifice Isaac if needed because he knows that God will provide. You see, this story, it blows my mind 
to think of what we've been through with Abraham so far, his doubting, his running away, his lying. And here he is in Genesis 22, 40 or 50 years after first meeting God. And those 40 and 50 years of relational experience have taught him that he can trust God. Hard stop. No questions asked. The, the, the doubting Abraham has now become this man who, what's the, what's the most consistent phrase that Abraham says in this text? Here I am. It's a really simple response of deference to God because he knows him. He knows God enough to know that he is trustworthy. He has a relationship with God that enables the possibility of, one, of, of a heartbreaking sacrifice because he knows that won't be the end of the story. He knows that sacrifice isn't the end, but God's got to be doing something in this, something after this. He knows God well enough to be open and willing to sacrifice what he loves most because he knows that on the other side of that sacrifice, God's still going to keep his promise. I mean, listen to how the author of Hebrews interprets this text. Hebrews eleven seventeen through 19. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the, in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered, Abraham considered, God was able to even raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. So the author of Hebrews is giving us a clear description of what's going on in this passage, that Abraham gets this test from God, gets this decision of sacrifice. And how does Abraham filter that test? He filters it through God's character. That he knows, hey, this, this son whom God has promised me, God is now telling me to sacrifice and to give up. But I know he's promised that this is the one, that, that Isaac is the one that the promise is going to be fulfilled through. And so because of that, I'm going to walk this way because I know that God is not going to break his promise. That on the other side of that sacrifice, his promise will still be true. So much such, so much so that if necessary, God would raise him from the dead. What kind of faith is that? What kind of trust, what kind of relational capital is that? Sacrifice in the Christian life happens because we have a relational experience with God. We have, we have some experiences with His goodness and with His love, with His wisdom enough to know God is going to do something here, that He's calling me to this level of sacrifice, to this decision of sacrifice. And I know his character because I've been near to him, because I've walked with him, I've seen it, I believe it. So I can give myself to this moment of sacrifice, knowing that on the other side, God will still be true, good, enough, and faithful. Christian sacrifice is done in the context of relationship. God has shown himself utterly good utterly trustworthy in our lives. What fault have you found with him? Think back. 
Think back about the ways in which God has been faithful to you. Think about the ways he's been gracious to you. He's poured out his love, his kindness. He has related to you with gentleness and with compassion. That he looks upon you and doesn't see your sins. He's provided what's necessary for you to be near to him. He's been good to you in all things. Think back about his faithfulness. And when you do that, when you remember, when you, when you work up in your heart a remembrance of relationship, then sacrifice can be embraced. Because you know, just like Abraham did here, that whatever God is calling you to give up, and I don't, I don't know that for you, but whatever, whatever God is calling you to move forward and to, and to make a moment of decision in sacrifice, devoting your heart more fully to Him and to obedience to His love and commands and to being shaped into the image of His Son, Jesus, whatever that is, you can trust because of that relationship that on the other side of it, God will have a profound reason. Which gets us to our third and final point. Sacrifice happens with a result in mind. Listen to this in verse 15. We didn't read this in the beginning, but verse 15. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gates of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Sacrifice is done with a result in mind. That Abraham already had the promise laid out for him. It was already true. It was already sure. But now his experience of that promise is all the more assured. Listen, his obedience didn't, didn't like secure the promise any more than what it was before. But what it's now done. Do you hear the, the surely's? The surely I will do this. Surely I will. God is assuring him. I will do these things. I will do these things for you. Your obedience to me, your deference and reverence for who I am has now opened up for you an experience of my blessing, my goodness, of my nearness that would have not been an option had you not obeyed. Sacrifice in the Christian life is done with a result in mind. And that result is the result of blessing of God's presence, of God's nearness, of his goodness, his favor, of awareness of that more than we ever had before. And listen, I think we as Christians, we're really shy about the word blessing, about the idea of obedience being the door through which blessing from God can come. And I want to make clear as could be, I am not saying, and the Bible never says that the blessing of a full bank account comes because you were obedient to God. 
You can't bend the arm of God so as to give you something. But what you can do is obey Him to go through the test of sacrifice and to come out on the other side with a deeper reverence for Him. That when we sacrifice, we don't bend the arm of God, but what happens in sacrifice is that it shows the the purity and the resolution of our faith. It shows that we are all the more devoted to God, and it is those who are devoted to Him that God will give His presence, His nearness, and an experience of His goodness like no other Yes, of course, God interrupts our lives with moments of His presence, even when we don't deserve a lick of it. But He does call us to obedience and to sacrifice. And when we walk into that, the Bible's clear that that is the way into which not a securing of God's promises, not a securing of God's presence, Jesus has done that already, but a heightening of experience. Yes, you can walk through the Christian life and not be obedient and be no less a son of, or daughter of God, but you will certainly hamper your ability to experience the love of God. So sacrifice and being obedient to God opens up an experience of God's presence and nearness like no other. We've got to keep that in mind. We have to keep that in mind when we are walking down the road of sacrifice. Keep the good thing in front of you, the reason why you're doing it. It's not purposeless. It's not, there's no sacrifice that goes unrewarded or un, uh, unnoticed by God. And so we've got to keep that in mind, and that helps us move forward. It's, it's kind of like with my daughter right now. My daughter turns three in December, and we're finally getting around to, uh, you know, cutting her uh, away from the passy, away from the pacifier. And we've been wanting to do this for a long time. Uh, but, you know, the pandemic and then moving, it was too hard. And so we were really, really afraid about it, but she has done wonderful. And the reason she's done wonderful is because we've said, hey, if you'll sacrifice this, if you'll give up your passy, then if you do that for three days, no passy, not while you're asleep, nothing, then I will go to Target and you can buy any toy that you want, (laughs) any toy that you want. Thankfully, all she really wants is like a, a, a buzz and a Toy Story, a horse, and Yessie, as she says. And so she's kept that in mind. And I know she's kept it in mind because each morning over the last couple days when she wakes up, she says, go to Target, Toy Story, buy toy. Can I buy toy now? No passy. So she's keeping it in her mind. She's keeping the reward, the result of that sacrifice in her mind. And that's pushing her to say, Nah, I would rather have this than this pacifier. And we've got to do the same thing as Christians, my friend. We've got to keep the result of God's presence, of going further up and further into His presence. And that will fuel us for the road of sacrifice. Whatever it is that He's calling you to. Does that affect your heart? That promise of deeper experience of God's presence, of being more assured of His love, of being closer to Him because of sacrifice. Does that appeal to your heart? To your heart? I hope so. Friends, the truth is, and this is, the truth is, is that I think very little of us want the presence of God like we say we do. The truth is that Many of us want very little of God, 
And the tragedy is that we may get just what we want. Want something deeper. Want something more with God. Want to move forward in your relationship. And because of that, embrace whatever sacrifice it's going to take to win that over. Whatever sacrifice that's going to take to, to purify your heart and to show your heart to be fully devoted to God so as to move near to Him, to be more aware of His love because you're not being clouded by sin. You're not being distracted by a divided allegiance. That's why these things result in a deeper experience of the presence of God. So, just some conclusion, some closing thoughts. Take nothing off the table. Take nothing off the table of sacrifice. Let your heart be fully devoted to God. Let your heart be fully open to God to say, whatever it is that you are calling me to walk away from, whether it's sin or even just a gray area, whatever it is, I want to do that because you are worth it. Take nothing off the table. God recognizes the pain of sacrifice. He says that to Abraham over and over again in this text. Your, your son, your only son whom you love. He knows the price and the sacrifice and the pain that it would be. But still he says, don't take anything off the table. Don't take anything off the table. Second, expect the need for sacrifice. The Christian life should have sacrifice in it. Walking with a, 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 a crucified Savior who's yes been risen, but who also calls us to walk the cross-bearing way should cause us to expect that there will be things in our life that we are going to have to lay aside if we want to move further into discipleship, into the image of Jesus Christ. Every Christian sacrifices. It doesn't mean we're always sacrificing. We're not masochists. We're not, we don't embrace asceticism. But it does mean we are open to sacrifice. We, are, we, will, we will follow our Lord down the cross-bearing way. Whatever that cross is that he's calling us to bear, we will embrace it. So don't avoid it. And finally, never use your own sacrifices as a means to assure you of the love of God. Never use your own sacrifice to make, it, to make yourself think that now you're better with God. That now, if you do this, it'll secure his love for you. That's not at all what we're talking about. Never use your own sacrifice to atone for your own sins. That grieves the heart of God, who's already given up his own son. His one and dear son, instead of us. Who has already given the supreme sacrifice that he could, bankrupting the riches of heaven by giving his son over to death in order that he might have us back. That, that is the sacrifice that secures for us the love of God, that secures for us the presence of God. Yes, our obedience might move us deeper into an experience of that, but it is the sacrifice of Jesus and Jesus alone that secures God's love for you, that secures his presence and his promises for you. So yes, embrace sacrifice. Move forward in obedience in order that your heart might be freed up all the more to experience God's love and power. But don't for a second think that that secures God's love for you. That job's done. Jesus has done everything necessary. 
to secure God's love for us so that even if this year has been a year of division in your heart, even if your heart is divided between the kingdoms of this world and the kingdom of God, even if your heart is divided between the pleasures of this world and the presence of God, you do not have to first get yourself back up to walk into the presence of God. Rather, you can do that with assurance in the grace of Jesus Christ. That you can admit where your heart's divided and not be afraid. You can admit where your heart is divided and not think you have to run away. God accepts divided hearts because he's given a whole sacrifice in Jesus Christ. That's our hope, friends. That's what energizes us. We don't walk this cross-bearing way as if we're trailblazing it. We're following a Savior who's already done it for us. <laughs> That's good news. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your grace. I thank you that your love secured for us in Jesus. God, I pray that you would prevent the hearts of my friends here from thinking that they have to get themselves together to, to work up your love for them. God, that's already been won. Pray that that would not be what they walk away, away from this with, God. But that rather that they would be enticed. That they would find in their hearts an appealing nature about sacrifice because it brings us deeper into your presence. Deeper, It readies us for the experience of your love. It readies us to know deeper in our hearts how good you are. It doesn't secure it for us, but it can bring us deeper into experience. And God, that is what we want. We want to love you more. We want to trust you more, God. We say together as Icon Church, as Bay City, God, that you are worthy and you deserve a fully devoted heart. Not because you're on a power trip, but because you are worthy, God. Because you are good. Let our hearts say that all the more. By your grace. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. This teaching was recorded as part of our current sermon series at Icon Church. During our weekly gatherings, we move from the teaching into a time of response. To reflect on and respond to the work of the Spirit. While we recognize it's hard to capture that in a podcast, we'd still encourage you to take a moment. Consider what the Spirit might be saying to you in response to what you heard. For more resources and details about how to join us on Sundays, visit iconchurch.org. As we say each week, Christ is all and we are His.